0: Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Hard to believe. Only one more week to uh, our Peaceful Sermon Series bumper video for Soulful Conversations. It's kind of hard to believe. I don't know how you guys are, but it's kind of hard for me to believe that we're already like this far into summer. Although the uh, weather outside the past few days and it looks like the next few as well uh, indicates that indeed we are deep in the middle of summer. Uh, but I don't know if you know this, but Eric Harkreeder, who is uh, Good Hope Rhodes' uh, own attender uh, helps to create these sermon series uh, bumper videos. Uh, So next time you see him, tell him you appreciate him for creating that art that kind of helps us to set the stage for each series that we go through. Uh, So like Pastor Sean said, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason Fickus, and I serve on staff here as the director of Connecting Ministries, uh, but I also get to dabble in several other ministry areas as well. And I told Sean, several of you guys are probably thrown off this morning because you see green up here instead of gold and black. So I hope for many of you it's a welcome change today to uh, not see a Steelers helmet up here. I know there's a few Eagles fans here at least. Yes, thank you guys. Yes, thank you. But like I said, uh, we are winding down uh, our summer series that uh, has really been built around taking the time to slow down Uh, to get in the hammock with God, to to learn from uh, pages of Paul's prayer journal that we find tucked away in his letters uh, in several of the books of the New Testament, and then letting Paul's prayers influence our own prayers. Now next week, if you're in town, make sure you don't miss church because next week we're going to culminate this series uh, with a more interactive service. So we'll have some extra music, we'll have some extra elements, Uh, we'll celebrate communion Uh, These different kinds of services, at least for me, I know are always just kind of a different fresh way to experience uh, God's power and presence on a Sunday morning, so don't miss that. Uh, But to take us towards that series culmination, uh, today we're going to look at one last page from Paul's prayer journal, and we're going to focus in on just one verse from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And it's a verse that gives us a model uh, or a framework for how to form thank you prayers to God. In this one verse, Paul's prayer inspires us by having us consider uh, the captivating love of the Father. A question for you this morning is, have you ever been captivated by anything or anyone? And hopefully for you husbands out there, the very first thing that you thought of is, yes, of course, my wife sitting right next to me. Right, guys? Shake your heads, yes. Yes. <laughs> You know, For me, outside of uh, my wife, one of the first things that I thought about, uh, that, that Sean actually alluded to this earlier today, is one of my, my favorite fine dining establishments. Many of you know uh, my penchant, and several of you share a similar penchant, for uh, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A fans in the house, raise your hands. Yes, there's, there's plenty of us. Um, I'd actually love, uh, you know, I love the interaction here at Good Hope Road, to get three of you to tell me what your favorite food or drink item is from Chick-fil-A and why it's your favorite. So I guess just raise your hand and I'll call on you and then you can tell me why it's, why it's a favorite item. And I just saw several of you there actually this week, so I know <laughs> that plenty of you guys frequent Chick-fil-A. Favorite food item, what you got? Ah, yes, did you guys hear that? Waffle fries, because they're crunchy on the outside but tender on the inside, I like that. What else, who else? Yeah. Ah, Yes. A good standard, nothing better, well done, all right, a third, third person, anyone else, yeah, the chicken minis, the little the little biscuits for breakfast, yeah, with the honey, the honey butter on the outside, yeah, absolutely well uh it's fair to say uh, that Uh, I I have been, and probably still am, captivated by Chick-fil-A, especially before we had any in the area. Uh, My father-in-law, Pastor Ron, and I used to, you know, we'd drive to Harrisburg or to York or even down to Shrewsbury, even into Maryland sometimes, just to satiate that Chick-fil-A craving. Uh, And it's about the food, but for those of you guys who are fans as well, it's about the service as well, right? They just treat you differently there uh, than they do at other fast food restaurants. Uh, but in case you were wondering, my, my favorite items, I'll give you th- three of my favorite items. First of all, the original chicken sandwich, right? Hand-breaded in the store, marinated in pickle juice. You put a pickle on the top, the buttery bun. Come on. Sorry, it's, it's hard to beat that. You keep it in that foil bag. It stays nice and hot. Solid. My second favorite, uh, the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake. Any of you guys? Yes, I hear, I see a few amens back there. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's only a seasonal item. You only get it like December and January, but just Heavenly, you take a sip of that. Even though Pastor Ron says it tastes like pepto I completely disagree. Third item, how about a chicken biscuit in the morning for breakfast? In the words of uh, Brian Gibson, who is the, the owner-operator, him and I are on a first-name basis at uh, Chick-fil-A, uh, who actually, Brian actually now attends Daybreak at Gettysburg Pike. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, I was just there for breakfast on Monday morning talking to him a little bit, and uh, he said, you know... There's just nothing like a hand-rolled biscuit in the morning. And I said, amen, Brian, you speak the truth. (laughs) If you've never tried a chicken biscuit for breakfast at Chick-fil-A, you have to go try a chicken biscuit. You know, all of us have been captivated by something, and hopefully all of us have also been captivated by the love of our amazing Heavenly Father. Who God is, what God's done for us, is just incredible. Sometimes we struggle to, to give words that can adequately describe it. Dictionary.com defines the word captivate as to attract and hold the attention or interest of, as by beauty or excellence. And when we stop to consider God's beauty and his excellence, that draws us to him, and a thank you prayer can rise up in our soul. Now, oftentimes, you'll see me serving uh, here uh, at the worship team and at Uh, On the worship team at both campuses I have the privilege of serving as a point worship leader and also helping at times to be able to provide leadership and influence over uh, our worship artists at Daybreak and one of the reasons that I love serving on the worship team is because of how strongly I connect with God through music. There's just something about the emotion in music and uh, the richness of the words that, that touches me, that helps me connect with God uh, and God's captivating power and presence in a different way than anything else. And I'm thankful that God captivates me in this way, but I'm also thankful that he captivates each of you in very different ways. In fact, when God captivates you with his love in a different way than he captivates me, that in and of itself captivates me. Being in a community of believers who express their passions, who exercise their spiritual gifts for the good of the body is an amazing and beautiful thing. And this is just one small example of how God's captivating love can lead to thankfulness flowing from our heart and our souls to God's heart. And this is what Paul's brief prayer of thanks in 2 Corinthians 2.14 helps us do. It helps us build these thank you prayers to God. So pull out your outline now if you haven't already. Paul's prayer of thanks uh, helps us to say thank you, Lord, for number one. Thank you, Lord, for captivating us. Thank you, Lord, for captivating us. Now earlier I gave you one definition of the word captivate, a a fairly positive connotation uh, of that definition. But the second definition of the word captivate carries a quite different connotation. A second definition of captivate is to capture or subjugate. Essentially, to be brought under complete control, being made submissive or subservient to someone or something. And so the interesting thing in the first half of the verse that we're going to look at today is that it's that connotation of the word that Paul chooses to use. Where he says in 2 Corinthians two fourteen a he says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And so it seems like that might not mesh up, right? So Paul is, Paul is thanking God that we are captives, that we are, you know, based on that definition of the word, based on that part of the word that he chose to use, that we're powerless and enslaved. <laughs> why would Paul choose to do that and why would we want to be that? Let me give you a little uh, cultural and historical context uh, for this verse. Pastor Joel, uh, this week who's preaching over at our Gettysburg Pike campus, did a great job of pulling together some research on this, uh, and I had never understood it in this way before. Uh, But the word picture that Paul is using here in the verse uh, is a word picture of something called a Roman triumph. The absolute highest honor that could be given to any Roman general was a triumph, and a triumph was like a, a processional or a big parade. Now, in order to be awarded a triumph, a general had to meet five certain requirements uh, of battle, five certain requirements of conquest. And so the general had to, first of all, serve as the commander-in-chief in in the field of battle. So like he, he couldn't have been directing from the sidelines. He had to be in there mixing it up. The second is he had to complete the conquest or campaign by bringing that contested region under peaceful rule which meant that the conflict was over, the troops are home. Third, maybe the hardest one, is that in just one engagement, in just one battle, 5,000 of the opposing army, 5,000 of his enemies, must have fallen. Fourth, His victory must extend the great Roman Empire. It couldn't have been one of those deals where like someone came to his turf and was fighting and they were fighting them off. No, it must have been them moving on, expanding, them going to enemy lands and conquering. And then fifth and finally, and it makes sense with the fourth one, his victory must be over a foreign foe, not in a civil war. And so if a general met all five of these criteria, which you can imagine was not an easy thing to do, he was awarded this highest honor a triumphal procession through the streets of Rome right up to the Capitol. And here's how this procession looked. First off, you had the Zembos in the clown cars and then the fire trucks and then the high school marching bands. Now I'm just just kidding. That's not how it looked. No, first you had the state officials and the Senate. They would process, followed by some trumpeters, followed by people carrying in the spoils, the valuables uh, that were taken from the conquered foe. They were paraded down the street. These were followed by people with sketches or even models of what the new land looked like because obviously in that time we didn't have Google Earth we didn't have maps right and so this helped people understand oh here's kind of the terrain of the land that we just conquered here's how big it is after that you had a large white bull process it would later be sacrificed as part of the celebration and then came the captives the captive especially the princes the captive leaders the captive generals in chains to be imprisoned, to be enslaved, or in some cases, even to be executed. And as you can imagine, this is kind of where the energy of this parade really started to ramp up. Following them were musicians playing lyres, and I always struggle, Lyre seems weird, but that's actually the correct pronunciation of the word. Uh, And then finally, a group of priests who were swinging their censers of sweet-smelling incense. And then finally, and I'll read this to you from a book called The Letter to the Corinthians by William Barclay, and you can see kind of a a picture on the screen of, of what this might have looked like. It says, After all this came the general himself. He stood in a chariot drawn by four horses. He was clad in a purple tunic embroidered with golden palm leaves, and over it a purple toga marked out with golden stars. In his hand he held an ivory scepter with the Roman eagle at its top. And over his head, a slave held the crown of Jupiter. After him rode his family, and finally came the army, all wearing their uniforms and decorations and shouting together, Lo triumphe!" their cry of triumph. And as the procession moved toward the streets, all decorated and garlanded, amid the cheering crowds, it made for a tremendous day. Now this whole parade, this wasn't like the annual Halloween parade that I described earlier with those Zembos riding around in those little cars. Does that confuse anybody else? That is just a weird sight when you see that. But anyways, this wasn't like an annual thing. This was something that might happen only once in a lifetime, maybe even less frequently. And so because of that, this Roman processional was kind of a pretty big deal. And so again, Paul gives us this kind of strange image to be thankful to find ourselves as the captives in this story, being processed in, kind of in chains. And so the question is, how should we be encouraged and thankful that we are being held as captives? What is it that Paul is getting at here? Well, in Paul's mind, it was simple. Because we were held captive by a foreign army. We were captives of the evil one. We were pawns in his game, in his war, in his battles. We were captive of the enemy of our souls. We had no control. We were forced to do things that weren't good for us, that weren't good for others. But then Jesus comes roaring onto the scene, and under God's command, he wages his own campaign. Jesus fought as the commander-in-chief, he got on the front lines, he put skin in the game, he shed his own blood to defeat the enemy, to win the victory, to bring us back as captives, but not captives who would be imprisoned or enslaved or executed, but rather captives of God's great truth, of his great grace, and his great love. What a different way to look at being held captive. Whereas the processional, when we were captives of the enemy, would have been marked by, by shame, by being bound up, by being humiliated, by being devalued. This other kind of processional, being marched in as a set free captive, is much different. Now in Paul's day, there were times, of course, when the Romans lost engagements, where they lost battles, and some Romans were taken as captives of a foreign enemy. But just like Christ fought to win us back, the Romans fought to win back their own. And so for those Romans who had been taken as captives in a foreign land and who were won back, they were now being paraded back home. For them, this kind of processional was a celebration. And that's what it's like for us when we come back home. When Jesus wins us back from the captivity of the enemy. Instead of dreading this processional, we celebrate being that kind of captive. This is a picture of angels in heaven, of believers who have gone before us, of our closest called out companions here on earth, of people all over the globe, of all creatures of our God and King who were once imprisoned but now are set free, shouting and singing the name of Jesus Christ, the triumphant one. Lo triumphe, Christ has triumphed, he has won us back. It's a very picture of a very corporate celebration, but also for each of us as individuals, it's a very personal picture. It's a very personal experience as Jesus triumphs over each of us, as he triumphs over our sinful nature, as he triumphs over our waywardness. Let me ask you a question that you find there in your outline. The question is, have you been ransomed by the king and captivated by his love? And I can answer the first half of that question for you. The answer is yes. You have been won. You have been ransomed by Christ Jesus. But the second half of that question is a little bit on you. Have you been captivated by his love? I'm sure that all of us can think back to the time that we first asked Jesus to come into our hearts, that first time that we realized, man, this sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, it's huge, it's life changing. And we were captivated by his love at that point. But the question is now, six months later, a year later, two years later, five years later, a lifetime later, are you still captivated by Christ's love? Have you allowed yourself the time and have you put yourself in positions to sit and to soak and to be astounded and captivated by God's unfailing love for you? Or like so many in this world right now, have you instead been captured and held hostage by all of this crazy stuff swirling around us? Don't get me wrong, the events in the recent months across our world have been absolutely atrocious, haven't they? I mean, it's extremely easy for us to be consumed by sadness, by negativity, by the evil, by all of the disunity that we witness in our country and in our world. But for you personally and for our world, do you believe in the power of the captivating love of God? Do you believe that being captivated afresh by him could give you a different perspective, a higher perspective on the chaos around you? Wherever you are with all of this, I want to give you just five minutes now to just sit before God, Put yourself and your mind in the hammock in front of God and through the words of this song to ask him to captivate you, to ask him to refocus your heart, to refocus your soul on who Jesus is and on what he's done for you because of his infinite love for you. So there's a video you can watch or if you just want to close your eyes and listen to the words you can do that but tune into the song Captivate Us.
1: Your face is beautiful, and your eyes are like the stars. Your gentle hands have healing, they're inside the scars. Your loving arms, they draw me near, and your smile. Draw me closer, oh my lord, draw me closer, Lord, to thee. Draw me closer, oh my Lord Draw me closer, Lord, to Thee
0: Pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your triumphant work on our behalf on the cross, for winning the war over the evil one, winning the war over sin and death, so that instead of being held captive by the enemy and his work in this world, we could be captivated by you, by your work in our lives, by your work in the world. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, making the time and changing our focus to be captivated by God instead of being held captive to all of the craziness in our world is kind of countercultural, isn't it? And the truth is that focusing our attention on God, it's not a choice to disengage from the world, but rather a choice instead to interact with it differently because of God giving us a different perspective, a higher perspective. If we are able to rise above the negativity, We'll have people ask us, how can you look at things like that? How can you maintain that attitude? How can you look around and still have hope? Well, later in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, Paul writes this. He says, hey, if we're out of our mind, as some might say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and if he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so, yes, we say, Thank you, Father, for captivating us, but also we add, Thank you, Lord, for number two, using us to captivate others. Thank you, Lord, for using us to captivate others. But thanks be to God, who verse 14b says, Uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. I love looking at these two verse 14's together. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says Christ's love compels us. I love that word. But what's it compel us to do? It compels us to be used by God to captivate others. To, as he says in verse 214 then, to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now when I was describing, describing that uh, Roman triumphal processional to you earlier, I mentioned a group of priests uh, who were carrying uh, and wafting incense down the parade route. This large group of priests on the back end of the processional uh, were in the employ of the Roman emperor. See, to the Romans, the emperor was almost considered a deity, almost as a god. And so to appease him, the main job of these priests was to make sure that there was enough incense in their censers that would last for the entire length of this processional. But it was also to make sure that the aroma, that the scent, was strong enough. That it would alert people to the fact that, hey, you're about to see this mighty general. Whom the emperor had chosen, who the emperor had sent, who had conquered on the emperor's behalf. Now, this whole sent thing got me thinking, what scent would I want to proceed me if I was the general? Maybe you want to think about that for yourself. I can think of a few. For me, maybe like new car smell. Like, does anybody not like new car smell? I think I would, I would almost call you crazy if you didn't like new car smell. If I was one of those people that like won the publisher's clearinghouse and they gave me like $300,000 a year, I'd probably buy a new car every six months and give the old one away just so I could keep that new car smell uh, in my life every day. Or how about the smell of honeysuckle? I love how fragrant and how refreshing uh, that smell is. I remember uh, growing up, uh, I used to go on walks down a road that was outlined on both sides by honeysuckle, and I just remember breathing in the air with that aroma in it. Or maybe the smell of fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies, huh? I think I would only choose that one if I could actually eat the cookies on the parade route while I was riding in the chariot. I got this picture, you guys remember, I don't remember if it's the first Santa Claus movie or the second one where Tim Allen as Santa's riding in the sleigh and uh, what's his chief elf's name, Bernard or something like that, had built in uh, that hot cocoa dispenser and then like the cookie warmer right there in the tray. So I'm picturing this chariot, right, that's got this cookie warmer popping the cookies out and you're riding as the general, riding high, eating a cookie, the scent of chocolate chip cookie riding in front of you. But anyways, tangent, back to the story, back to this group of priests. You know, in other places throughout the New Testament, the people of God who have been captivated by the love of God are actually referred to as a kingdom of priests. And so, as we discussed in point one, we can certainly find ourselves in this processional, in this story, as celebrating our role as set-free captives. We can bask in the richness of that image. But also, based on historical knowledge, based on this picture that Paul paints here, we can also find ourselves in this processional as part of this large group, this kingdom of priests, being used by the emperor, our father God, to draw people in, to create intrigue about the presence of the great general, Jesus, by spreading the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. It's a pretty cool image in this verse. The Bible provides some pretty vivid images uh, to help us understand our relationship with God in a fun new way. You know, sometimes I think the Bible is like an everlasting gobstopper. How many of you guys have ever had one of those, like, super big gobstoppers that, like, the longer you suck, you get to the new, new flavors? The Bible's like an everlasting gobstopper, I think, with amazing new flavors the deeper you go. And so we take this cool historical learning And it's cool to understand the story in a different way, but to make it practical, what does it look like for you and I to be a sweet-smelling aroma that causes people to either embark on or to take a next step on their life-changing journey with Jesus? Well, one way that we can do that is through prayer. Our prayers are like that sweet aroma wafting up to God, wafting over those people that we're praying for. And while prayer to us may seem to be a little bit more of a mysterious, maybe less tangible way to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ, it's a supremely powerful way. Many of us can attest to the power of prayer and how it has changed our lives and how it has changed circumstances in our lives. The cool part, though, is that prayer is just one of an endless number of ways that we can help others become captivated by God. And this, in fact, is one of the things I love about who Daybreak is. Because it's our desire, our essence statement, is to help others discover a life-changing journey with Jesus. Another way to say that is to help people become captivated by the love of God. And because that's our desire, that's how our church operates. It's how we plan, it's how we execute ministry. It's what our strategic plan is centered around. If you remember back in September, we did a series on our strategic plan, and we talked about three unique expressions of that plan. One of them was addressing the practical and felt needs of our community. We can captivate people with the love of Jesus when we are the hands and feet of Jesus, meeting them in their time of need. Second one was offering a church family for the unchurched. We can captivate people with the love of Jesus when they can come here on a Sunday morning and feel welcome, feel loved, feel appreciated no matter who they are, no matter where they've been. And then the third thing was integrating relational health with spiritual growth. Not many places do that, address the relational and the spiritual. We don't just want to be a church that learns well together, we want to be a church that really knows how to interact well together, how to work through conflicts together. And so when people can see, hey, even though we disagree, they're still treating me important, they're still treating me with high regard, that shows Christ's captivating love in us. And how do we carry out that strategic plan as a church family? Well, we point to Christ through living that contagious 3C lifestyle like we always talk about. It's on the screen there. By pointing to and celebrating God's grace in our lives. By living out the gospel in authentic relationships, connecting with God's family. And by making a difference for others, by contributing to God's work. This past year, uh, if you pull this bookmark out of your program guide, this past year, if you recall, uh, our annual theme has been on prayer. And that's why uh, we did a series on prayer in the fall. That's why we are doing a series on prayer again here through the summer. And uh, we're ra- wrapping up this Soulful Conversations prayer series and wrapping up this annual theme to, to build upon it with the next theme. And starting in September, we'll be moving on to our new annual theme. And our, our theme for next year uh, is Reach, Pointing the Way. And there's a graphic that we have. You'll see the graphic. I think it's on the next screen there, yep, of uh, what that is going to look like. Uh, but this theme is all about us being captivated by God by using our lives to point people towards him, to spread the aroma of him. And so in many ways, this second point today is a great preview of what we're going to be talking about this fall. This fall, we'll learn all about all sorts of ways that we can help captivate others with the love of Jesus. One more very specific and practical way to point people to God is to tell your story. I don't know about you guys, but for me, my faith always grows. I'm always encouraged to take next steps on my journey with Jesus when I hear about how God's love has captivated someone else, has brought about life change in that person. And so this morning, actually, I would love to uh, read to you guys uh, a few 100-word stories from some of our recent Journey class graduates with you. And if you're like me, oftentimes you can find yourself uh, in the stories of other people And when you can find yourself in a similar place and see how God's uh, love captivated that person and brought about change in your life, you believe it can happen for you as well. So I hope that these stories uh, encourage you like they encouraged me. The First one reads like this. It says, I have struggled with regrets for many years. Regrets that I didn't go to college. Regrets that I had my first son at such a young age. Regrets about my first marriage that didn't work out. Regrets that I didn't make the most of the three months that I had with another son, as he died when he was just an infant. Regrets about being irresponsible with money over the years. In 2009, my oldest son got baptized, and he invited me to his baptism at Daybreak that Easter Sunday. That is the day that things started to change in me. Then a few years later, Daybreak did a series on the power of forgiveness, and this was the series that I really needed. It propelled me forward on my journey. And on Easter 2013, I was baptized. I no longer focus on my regrets. Instead, God has given me peace. He's shown me that he was with me through each of these challenging seasons and that I can trust him through each and every new challenge that I may face in life. Here's the second one. As a young athlete, I remember a coach telling me that good is never good enough. And although I didn't consciously adopt that idea on the spot, the idea of never being good enough took hold in my mind. Unattainable family expectations led to unattainable expectations for myself, all disguised under the admirable trait of perfectionism. Yet as I pushed for perfection in academics, Athletics and physical appearance, I always felt that the sign above my head read, Never good enough. When learning about God's love, I was blown away by this concept, that His grace is good enough. I can love and be loved by God just as I am. No prerequisites of perfection. These feelings of inadequacy are being replaced. Peace and contentment and fulfillment flood my soul if I will let them. It's a daily process of surrendering my thoughts and accepting and celebrating who God has made me to be. As part of preparing for this message, um, I challenge myself to write a fresh story about what God has been teaching me in the last year or two, and I want to share that with you this morning uh, as well. Uh, maybe you'll be able to relate uh, to some of the things that, that I've been struggling with. So I've been following God since I was young, uh, but my faith was small. See, I was perfectly content to trust him as long as I still held a large measure of control. I would decide what and how much I would relinquish to God, and I would trust him with that much, but much was held back. Before my youngest son was born, we found out that he had masses in his heart caused by a genetic disorder. There was even a chance that the masses could continue to grow and that he wouldn't make it to birth. This circumstance stripped me of control and taught me what it really looks like to trust God. See, I've learned that trust in a controlled situation really isn't trust at all. Now, praise God, our son was born, and through the power of prayer from God's people, the masses have shrunk over the first year of his life. His future health is still unknown due to the genetic disorder. And while God has taught me to trust him more than ever before, sometimes my tendency to want to control rears its ugly head again. And in those moments, I remind myself of God's faithfulness and his provision for my family over the past few years of challenge when I had no control. One quote I heard that comforted me, and I'll close my story by challenging you with it, is I don't know what you're going through today but I know this God is in it God is with you and God is good Amen So thanks for listening to my story and the question for you this morning is what is your story How has God captivated you How has he made a night and difference a night and day change a night and day difference for you in your life If you haven't already, I would love to challenge you to take the Journey class this fall. Just one of the many things that the Journey class does is give you an opportunity uh, in a safe place uh, to learn to write in a short way and tell in an impactful way your story. See, our stories are powerful. You can get in arguments with people about theology. You can get in arguments with people about beliefs. Uh, About philosophy, about who God really is, but one thing that people cannot argue with you about is change in your life, is the way that God has worked in your life, the stories that you have to tell. People can't argue with your story. And so this morning we say, Thank you, God, both for captivating us, but also for helping us to captivate others through our prayers, through the way that we live our lives, and through our stories. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Let me pray for us. God, again, thank you for sending your son into enemy territory to win us back, to free us from the captivity that oppressed us, that kept us stuck. Jesus, thank you for fighting on the front lines. Thank you for shedding your own blood, for giving up your life so that we could be brought back home to find life and joy and peace where we were meant to find it, in your family. Thank you for the richness of the scripture that we looked at today. Thanks for the fresh understanding, how it gave us a new glimpse of what it looks like to be captivated by you. And God, thanks for the work that you've done in our lives. Thanks for the work that you will continue to do in our lives. Help us to submit to that work. Help us to be aware of that work. And God, help us to celebrate that work through sharing our stories. Give us boldness to talk about how your love has captivated us. And as we share these stories of your amazing grace to others, God, build us up and captivate them. May they also experience your amazing grace in their lives and may they take their next step on their life-changing journey with Jesus. We love you God and we offer up now a thank you prayer to you through the words of this next song as we sing it together. In Jesus name, amen. Sing this song with us.